everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hygiene is one third of our revenue in most, I say, average practices, and we just don't talk about it enough. And I just want to open for the listeners just to hear that you and your partner, Teresa, have demonstrated that it's possible for hygienists to produce a half a million dollars annually. And if that's not like perking some people's ears up, I mean, that's just amazing. Well, I ran a report on my last year's practice, Trailing 12, to see what is my most producing hygienist. And my highest one was like 260000 So that's nearly double of what uh, she's doing as a full-time hygienist. So I think everyone's going to want to hear what you have to say, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say as well. But before we kind of get into that, why don't you just explain like just a brief history, your journey from school into where you are now as a hygiene lead into like bulletproof hygiene and what you're doing now. Sure. So I graduated with an AS of dental hygiene in 2012. I graduated with a really high GPA. It was like a 3.9. I was class president. I did all the things. And then, of course, I think like most of us do after school, I, you know, landed in the real world with more questions than I had answers, right? And like realized how much I did not know, right? I think that's many people's experiences coming out of either a medical-based program or a trade school or anything. It's like, we think we know, and then the real world hits us and we realize how much we don't know. And that was definitely my experience, right? So first couple of years out of school, I was kind of learning where I wanted to end up or like where my long-term practice home would be. So I did some temping, I did some part-time stuff. One of my early practices, you know, I had an interview with a dentist where he said something along the lines of like, people just want the profies and they want to go home, you know? And I always tell this story because this is like a mini adventure I went on in, in a practice early on. And it was a great experience. I was hired eventually at that office and I got to really start from scratch and start from the bottom, kind of implementing perio charts. There weren't perio charts at this practice or an updated medical history. A lot of things were just kind of falling behind. So I stepped in and, and saw an opportunity there and kind of started educating patients. And the doctor kind of jumped on board with my education because patients were open to it for the most part. And then kind of turned things into education, patients being enrolled in perio and that sort of thing. So I learned a lot in early scenarios like this and early scenarios involving insurance and the things that we're all very familiar with. I went on later to earn my Bachelor of Applied Science degree in dental hygiene, and then eventually I, I started at Johns Hopkins earning my MBA in healthcare. I didn't complete that. There were a lot of reasons for that, some personal things going on, and then also professional things going on just regarding the summit and the podcast and working full-time and being the lead, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of moving parts at the same time, but I anticipate picking that up and kind of running with it and completing it one day. So and now I have been practicing uh, with the Spodak Dental Group, since 2014 with Dr. Craig Spodak, and that has been an absolute pleasure. And talk about like evolution. I felt like little fish in a giant pond had so much to learn from the beginning. And, and again, one of those situations where I felt like I was starting my career all over again. You know, I came out of school, felt like I knew nothing, joined the Spodak Dental Group, 
realized I really knew nothing and that there was so much to learn, you know, and that was the perfect kind of fertile ground that I needed to head in that direction and have learning and leadership opportunities. And that was kind of how things blossomed. I think listeners and a lot of us dentists were like, I want a hygiene lead, like someone that just does everything. So I don't have to worry about, worry about that anymore. But most people don't often get to see that example of what a really solid hygiene lead can do. And I know from talking to Craig, he sings your praises like crazy. So explain to the listeners, like, what is your role at the practice? What do you do as the hygiene lead? So I stepped into hygiene leadership in 2018 when when our prior lead was leaving the practice and she left on not great terms. So it was kind of like an ugly situation, but also, again, kind of an opportunity for the practice to really evolve and grow. It was like a huge change opportunity. And so I think at that time, the hygienists working at the practice, and now we have about 10 hygienists, I think at the time we had eight, kind of realized there were a lot of like missing pieces, but I don't think anyone really knew where to start. So I just started with the missing pieces, you know, like the biggest missing piece was perio education and calibration for the hygiene team, but then also kind of like a piece of autonomy or trust that was built upon that calibration with our dentists based on firm foundations essentially. So kind of going back to the basics. Well, let me let me backtrack even more. Okay, so there's calibration, right? I implemented um, an updated uh, standard operating procedures for the hygiene team. And that sounds very basic and boring, but it's one of those necessary components that not many people like to look at and change and update. But it's like, how can we hold people accountable? How can we tell them how to win if there aren't like systems and strategies and like particular things in place? Like no one knows if they're winning or losing if it's not measurable, right? Right. So updating the SOP was one of the first major changes and then kind of implementing and holding people to the SOP, making it widely known this is what we're playing at and this is what we're using moving forward. Implementing regular hygiene team meetings. And it's just very standard, old business, new business, continuing education. And then continuing, it was quarterly, I think at the beginning doing that, um, implementing quarterly reviews with the hygienists. So I created a review document that was qualitative and quantitative. And started tracking numbers, tracking perio percentage, tracking product percentage, you know, just different things. And all of that coupled with team socials to increase and improve camaraderie is, I don't know if that was three or four things, but it's like the trifecta, Mm -hmm. like getting that morale up and giving people a way to win, like a firm or a description of like how to get from A to B, how to achieve the next level, how to enroll patients, you know, from verbiage to systems to this is what you do on the computer. Here's a note template. Like all of these things make so much of a difference regarding how smooth our day goes, what we can expect from one another and what we can hold each other accountable on. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned the camaraderie and I think you said like doing socials. Mm-hmm. Is it just hygienists or is the hygienist and the clinical team or just what does that look like? So we started doing just hygiene social. So an example of a hygiene social would be we went charter fishing one time, and all of these are completely run by the hygiene team, initiated by the hygiene team. We have a annual budget of like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, so it's not a huge budget, you know, for that many people. So if it's like, oh, we want to go on this trip and we'll fund our own food or something, sometimes that has been the case, and sometimes not. Sometimes we get two or three socials out of that, depending on what we end up doing. So we've done things like charter fishing as the hygiene team. We've done things as simple as bowling, happy hour at someone's house, um, and now. Our next hygiene social is actually going to involve our doctor team as well, because we're realizing how important that doctor hygiene collaboration is on a personal level. And I think because it works so well with the hygiene team to really improve, like our, our hygiene team is tight knit, yeah. like so personally and professionally just tight knit. We've got each other's backs and it's not like 
hygiene island either where like everyone else is excluded it's like we love each other and we support each other and we help each other out with the realization that like we're part of a bigger team i think it's awesome that you recognize that the social part of it because my practice had expanded from five to 11 ops took on a lot of team members and then COVID happened and it was like gosh we can't keep the culture with this big of a team but what it really was is we weren't able to do all these social things that was such a big part of our practice and doing the stuff together and some docs might look at that and be like, oh, you don't need to hang out with your team. You don't need to do these things together. You don't need to set these things up. But as the restrictions lifted and we started getting together, we're like, this is what we were missing this yeah. whole time is we were, we were missing that camaraderie when people love to work with each other, people work well with each other. So I, I think that's awesome that you say that. Now, one thing that you mentioned earlier, and I kind of wanted you just explain what this means. And I, I do want to, we got to get into the 500. We got to get the half a million dollar production thing. <laughs> this is what everyone's like, just, what, what do you do? No, but we're going to get there. You, we're going to make you wait. You said autonomy. What, what does that mean to you as a hygienist and why is that important? So me having personal respect and appreciation for myself and my actual position on the team and also using all the tools in my tool belt to thoroughly assess and co-diagnose each patient. Like I believe in my assessment and I believe in how I'm educating the patient. I believe so much that if I didn't believe I'm going to question it and get someone else's, you know what I mean? Like I just want it to be the right thing for the patient. That's really might come from. So autonomy is what it looks like in my daily practice is I'm running the show. I essentially say, these are my findings. The dentist, you know, will look at x-rays, look at periodontal, and say, go ahead with your plan because we've established that much trust. So I don't feel that there's handholding. There's no minimization of my plan. If I tell someone there's moderate bleeding, the dentist comes in and has my back. But at the end of the day, they're trusting my co-diagnosis because they have every reason to. We have a lot of history together. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine a lot of calibration and discussions that go along with that, that allow a team to work at that level. I always say you got to have two opinions. There's got to be a second opinion. And I want the hygienist to be the first opinion. And then I just go in there and say yes, because I think the patients trust the hygienist a lot more. I really do. And it's just the way it is. And to say that you're going to sit there and you're going to do your profi or whatever you're going to be looking, doing your diagnostics, and you're looking at all these teeth to not say anything about what you see just seems ludicrous to me. Why wouldn't we let our hygienists do that? I think, honestly, some dentists do think we're so smart that we just can't do it. No, they can't do it. We wouldn't go to all the schools us. Baloney. But let's get to the big question. Half a million dollars in production, How? Go. Okay. So half a million dollars. I have to first disclose that the half a million dollars, Sharissa does a half a million. I do 400 plus. Oh, is that it? I am. I, I know. That's all I know. When I'm a single book hygienist, I don't have my own dedicated hygiene assistant. So Sharissa, my partner in crime, works a double book and she has her own dedicated hygiene assistant. So she dovetails her schedule and has it kind of figured out. And she's incredible. I've learned an enormous amount from her. She really does handle her schedule really well. But 400K plus in production, it takes all the things that I just said, but I think the easiest and the lowest hanging fruit, I think in any practice, I can say confidently, is perio percentage. Mm -hmm. You know, we're afraid to give people bad news. It's lack of resources or lack of utilizing the resources that we have at our disposal, thinking that we have not enough time, lacking kind of like, I don't know, just sometimes I think when hygienists come to shadow me at my practice, it's like they almost don't believe what I'm telling them until they see me do it mm -hmm. in the real world. So sometimes it's almost like the hygienist just needs to come see what's happening to like 
believe it because it sounds too good to be true. It sounds crazy. When I first heard that Charissa was producing half a million dollars a year as a hygienist, I thought she must be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong here. What is she doing? Extractions? Is she doing her own Invisalign? Like what's going on here? But there is so much actual illness and disease that if we take the time to truly assess each patient, use all the diagnostic tools at our disposal, the itero, the photographs, the x-rays, medical history, like use all the pieces of the puzzle. If we use all the pieces of the puzzle and we are confident in our assessment and evaluation and we evolve into better communicators, like people will say yes. Hygienists are, I like to say, and of course I'm biased because I'm a hygienist, but we really are in a lot of ways the quote unquote lifeblood of the practice is something that Dr. Craig loves to say. And I love that he says that. The Cleveland Clinic actually I think his name was Dr. Michael Royzen. He was the chief anesthesiology, I believe, at one point. Actually called dental professionals and specifically dental hygienists to fill the quote-unquote like enormous shoes that we have because we're the only providers who are seeing patients an hour at a time for preventive care every single year. Like people don't even go to their PCPs that much, you know? So it's just like if we are actually just using the basics, we can get to the high numbers. It's a natural side effect of doing the very best thing for the patient, but it does take work. It takes the calibration. It takes the social. It takes the morale. It takes, you know, the team. It takes the culture. Now, is there also lasers, add-ons, fluorides? Like, is, is that part of it as well? Yeah. So our hygienists generally are paid a percentage of our collections too. So what falls under hygiene collections would be things like nitrous, orokix, x-rays, any hygiene procedure, perioprotect trays, we do a lot of salivary testing. Those are all things that fall under the hygiene production. Exams obviously don't. The, the periodic exams, comp exams, that falls under the dentist, any restorative falls under the dentist. We don't get paid for things like night guards, even if we do the scan and enroll the patient and so on and so forth. So the dentistry stays with the dentist. You know, essentially we're just, we're doing the hygiene. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned a higher perio percentage. I'm just curious what you think about this. And this is what I see in my practice is that I, I wouldn't say we are aggressive with diagnosis. I don't think we are aggressive, but according to the PPO insurance standards, it would give that impression to a patient as bleeding like crazy. The depths are there. There's not enough radiographic calculus. And now we've got to explain to a patient why we recommended doing this cleaning when they just got a letter from some dental consultant from Delta that said, it was unnecessary and that we didn't need to do it, which hence causes the hygienist to be somewhat timid and shy with diagnosing this. So I'm just curious to what you would have to say about that. I tell my patients that I don't treatment plan with their insurance in mind. Like I put on my clinical dental hygiene license hat and not my insurance brain, you know, mm -hmm. um, we can't treatment plan anything according to insurance or imagine like dental insurance maximums on average, let's say that that Delta Dental plan pays the maximally $2,000 a year or something. What if the person needs five crowns? Are you not going to recommend the five crowns because the insurance isn't going to cover it? Like, there's still a problem. Like, we have an ethical obligation to inform patients of their current state of health or disease despite the insurance. And I tell people, dental insurance is kind of a joke. Like, I'm very honest with them. Like, it's almost like if you get a benefit, you're sort of lucky because it has very little to do with our actual clinical findings. And I don't know who it is like evaluating dental claims and looking at all those things, but I'm just like, what What are they thinking? Like, they need to go to CE. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. I'm like, they don't understand disease, you know? One day we're going to get to punch that person if, if they ever introduce themselves. One day. They're like, I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm that guy that rejects all your claims. That's me. Nice to meet you, right? So, like, what, what would you say... 
if someone's looking at this and they're thinking about their hygiene teams, because most of the listeners of this podcast are, are practice owners and dentists, they're looking at their hygiene team. What's the biggest like mindset shift that you see from you know your day to day average hygienist versus what you're doing over at your dental group? So I will tell you about what I've seen make the biggest difference in my dental group and my practice because that I think is the resounding issue or pain point for most hygienists. And that is that we kind of insinuate or we we assume that we know what patients can and can't afford or what they think is expensive, like what the cutoff is, you know, for services that we're offering and for dental services. And something that really has helped our hygienists overcome the fear of appearing to be quote unquote selling or upcharging things that patients have said, you know, they, they don't want to give them that quote unquote used car sales type of experience. Like, of course, that's not our come from. When we onboarded Perrier Protection to my practice, Perrier Protector trays that deliver a 1.7% hydrogen peroxide gel into the sulcus or pocket, kind of force it down and kill anaerobes basically. So in between perio maintenance and things kind of helps reduce the bacterial load. But when we first onboarded this product, the team knew the research. We really believed in it. We, we were seeing changes with early patients. Like it was clear that it was extremely effective. We had a hygienist named Ashley who, since the beginning, was really struggling with the cost of those trays. Our cost is about $1,100. And this was hygiene production, right? So it was a big ticket item for a hygiene service. She was really struggling with this. And we were doing a quarterly review and we were going through numbers and doing all the normal stuff. And then we got to Perio Protect and it was like zero. And I'm like, you know, tell me about like what's going on with the Perio Protect because I, I know that you have read this information. I know that you understand it. I know you're a great hygienist. I know that you want to do what's best for patients. So tell me about what's going on. And she said, well, you know, I'm just afraid that my patients think I'm like selling them something, you know, and we had to have this whole like unpacking conversation about perception and selling and what's expensive to me is not expensive to that person. And I'm making a lot of assumptions when I'm thinking those things. And she would almost like, trip herself up or self-sabotage by pre-framing her delivery about this product or her education about this product to patients by saying things like, yeah. oh, it's really expensive. It's, you know, 1100 you know, like it's like we do it to ourselves all the time. Like we don't know if it's expensive or right. assuming that, you know? So we ended up writing what was called an integrity statement where I said, hey, Ash, okay, so write things that are true about you and your practice and then write like the false beliefs what are the things that you're believing about yourself or practice, what the patient will think? So she wrote those down and then she would just read out to herself her integrity statement. And it was something like, I believe in what I'm doing. I am a, a very intelligent, capable and ethical provider. When I'm recommending periotrace, I'm really doing what I believe is best for my patient, blah, blah, blah. Regardless of their response or their acceptance of the treatment, I believe that I'm recommending the right treatment, basically. So it's like overcoming that fear of selling and patient perception it's making the switch from what is the patient going to think to like, what do I have in my tool belt to help this patient? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's all that it was. And it made a huge difference. Her periprotect numbers skyrocketed, but so did other procedures for her. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was across the board. This was just like the biggest pain point at that point in time. So that was immensely helpful. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you shared that because I think that people get hung up on the perioprotect stuff because it's just a tray. It's just, and it's hard to... If we think that it's not worth it, if we don't feel like it's valuable in our hearts, that'll come off to the patient. We've got to believe that we provide that value. I was just presenting like a $46,000 uh, veneer case the other day. And Forrest said, gosh, could you do it for any cheaper? And it, no, I can't. 
I can't. I said, I know you can go somewhere else and get it cheaper, but it's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be what I can provide for you. So like knowing your value, knowing what you're worth, I love that you, you shared that story. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists. We are excited to announce our 2023 Bulletproof Summit. Mark the date on your calendar and block off patient care because we're going to be in Las Vegas, August 11th and 12th at the Wynn Hotel. Registration is live. Get all the details and jump on the early bird specials by going to bulletproofsummit.com. This is our opportunity to connect with you and your team in person and grow exponentially together. We promise you don't want to miss it and we can't wait to see you there. Sign up today. Tell me about scheduling because you mentioned that your partner is doing some assisted hygiene. What is the intentionality that goes into like a typical schedule day for you? Like being a single column, you're not working multiple columns. Like what what does that look like for you? So for me, so I'll let you know that I pre-block one two-hour block every single day in my schedule just for the whole year. So there's a two-hour block and that's either used for a new patient or for a high production appointment. Other than that, it's very basic. And that two-hour block can go anywhere, just wherever it fits and wherever it doesn't coincide with all the other hygiene schedules, right? Because we can't have a million comprehensive exams happening at the same hour, right? Mm -hmm. But otherwise, very standard. I get one-hour blocks. Patient care starts at 9 a.m. It ends at 5 p.m. Generally, if I have a non-productive appointment, such as like a perio reevaluation or a perio trade delivery or like a modification of a perio trade, I'll book that outside of normal working hours. So I'll book myself at 8.30 or lunch. Mm-hmm. or after hours just to fit that in. And then I'll keep the rest of the day productive hours. Okay. So t- a typical new patient would be two hours in, in yep. your office and then a recall would be an hour mm-hmm. and an, an SRP scaling would be two hours that would go into a high production block. Honestly, it depends on the patient. You know, we know that some patients who are like just starting to lose that attachment, they're just now getting four and five millimeter probings with some recession, slight vertical defect, you know, that's not going to be the same as like your patient who hasn't been in for 10 years who has all this radiographic calculus and seven millimeter pockets, you know? So it's really at my discretion. That's a part of the autonomy too, is I guess I pretty much have complete schedule autonomy, except that I can't put myself out of the practice, right? When during normal working hours. So I can schedule as much or a little time per procedure as I need to. And generally I'll do a half amount scaling for an hour, the other half for an hour. Now, what about, what about fluoride? What about it? <laughs> no, let's talk about adult fluoride. I think that's the one that we always want the hygienists. You know, there's people that benefit from it and we wish they would, but that's another one that falls under that. Well, it's not covered anymore, so we're just not going to talk about it. Is that part of your guys' hygiene program, adult fluoride? Oh, 100%. Adult fluoride, even adult sealants, um, all the other adjuncts that I mentioned before, desensitizers, nitrous, all that, all that stuff. But yeah. Our fluoride percent, I think mine is at about 80% Mm -hmm. for all patients, and I don't see many kids. So it's definitely doable. It's just a matter of really intentionally putting that insurance in the passenger seat and your license back on. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's really just the first visit with like a new patient. I present it as though this is a normal part of the appointment, whether they are in network or out of network with their insurance, because for me, it is a normal part and it is something that actually will benefit them. And I always tie it back to either my chief concern a complaint for them or their chief complaint if it ties into the fluoride indication. So for instance, if they have sensitivity, a high decay rate, like anything that predisposes them to benefit from fluoride, basically, I'll just tie it back into, I'll say something like, generally at the end of a hygiene appointment, I apply a fluoride calcium phosphate varnish. It's an anti-cavity, anti-sensitivity treatment. This is how it goes on. These are the rules afterwards. 
it may or may not be covered by your insurance. If it's not the worst case scenario is it's $37, are you okay with that? Like, I don't even turn around and take the time to like investigate right there because for most people, it's a yes. If it's a no, I ask them if I could do it just complimentary for them the first time. That offering it at no charge the first time really just lets people know I'm telling you about something and educating you about something that I really believe in so much so that I'm going to give it to you this time. Mm-hmm. And it does a couple of things because now they know, okay, I've given them a gift that creates kind of like this law of reciprocity, but also they know in the future how much it costs, how it benefits them. And then they can make an educated decision for themselves moving forward. And if the next visit is to know, or they have some other reason for why they don't want fluoride, totally fine. No problem. Not going to push it, you know, but, but generally, yeah, people say yes. And it's a non-issue. Is this something that, say, someone says no, you give it to them complimentary, you offer it the next time, and then they say no again? Is this something that you're going to note in the chart, don't ask anymore? I'll just note that the patient declined fluoride. And usually I ask them, like, why? Because I want to make sure, like, is it a cost issue truly? Like, or is it, do you have some sort of emotional reason for saying no? Or do you have beliefs about fluoride? Do you want more education? Do you not want more education? Like, I kind of just want to make sure that all of the questions have been explored before I just say, oh, patient doesn't want fluoride anymore. Because there have also been a lot of scenarios where either I see a patient being used to see a different hygienist or vice versa, where I just kind of start from scratch with them and I say, this is typically what I do. And I do just like I would for a new patient. And then they end up saying yes to fluoride. So it's kind of like, just because they say no one day or one time, maybe their question wasn't answered. Maybe we don't understand their question fully. And, and maybe we do. Maybe that's all there is to it, you know? Yeah. And, and I notice this with my hygiene team as well, is that some sell a lot of fluoride and some don't sell so much. The The challenge is getting everybody up to the same level, but it also has to be something they also believe in. And and I think that sometimes is the challenge. You mentioned that you, you have the autonomy, you believe in what you're diagnosing, even though we're quote unquote not supposed to be diagnosing, but everybody knows what we're doing here. How do you tee up the doctors and how much discussion over treatment and stuff? What does that look like in your chair? Is that like during the cleaning? Is that before you even go in there and start doing your profi? Is it looking like, how does this fall into someone? If if, if a dentist is listening and like, I want to co-diagnose it with my hygienist, what does that look like so they have an idea? So I think the easiest way to describe this would be to walk you through a new patient appointment. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's do it. So um, new patient appointment starts with an admin team member, believe it or not. And that is intentional for kind of like closing the loop at the end of the appointment. They meet back with the same person. But all that to say that the admin person will take a panoramic, bring the person to a consult room. They will review the medical history initially with the patient. Then the doctor and I come in and kind of follow up on what the admin person has communicated to us about this person's sheep complaint in their medical history, right? Are they in the operatory now with, with the admin person? No. They're in a, a consult room. So it's a closed private room where we can review the medical history. It's intentionally designed that way because we don't want to meet them in the clinical operatory because it's a threatening environment for a lot of people who have dental anxiety. So we want to meet them face-to-face, eye level, you know, and, and kind of like in a less threatening environment or what they perceive as less threatening to review private information and kind of really discuss what their chief concerns are. Yeah. So the admin person goes, then now you and the... You mentioned you and the doc will talk to the admin person or you will enter the room and also meet that patient in that room. So, yes, the admin person is initially in that room, does the initial review of the medical history. Admin person steps out of the consult room, relays as much information as they can to me and the doctors that we don't just go in and ask the same questions, right? Because that creates distrust and frustration for patients. They don't like to repeat themselves. I don't like to repeat myself, right? 
when I go to a PCP and nine people ask me what I'm allergic to, it's annoying. So, you know, we try and walk in knowing kind of what the chief concerns are and we'll just hit like the finer details when we walk in. So any joint replacement, heart valve surgeries, make sure no pre-med if's necessary. Talk about chief concerns, chief complaints and review the panoramic that was taken in the consult room. And then the doctor will then explain what I'm going to be doing. So all the diagnostics that I do once we get into the clinical laboratory are I take an FMX, I do a comprehensive perio chart, I take a full series of photographs, a 3D wellness scan with the iTero. And I review all of that information with the patient. So typically the perio chart will be the last thing that I do and I will then sit the patient up. And generally I'll start reviewing with the perio chart and I'll go through all my findings, you know, or is indicated inflammation, five and higher indicates loss of attachment or losing that height of bone support around the teeth and blah, 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 what's indicated from here, so on and so forth. So I do a thorough hygiene treatment plan, like presentation right then and there. And then I essentially will go through x-rays. If there are any cavities, I'll say, you know, this is your tooth on the upper left. You see this dark area. This this is what a cavity looks like on an x-ray. You know, the dentists, when they come in here, they're going to talk to you about how we can fix this basically. And and so I set it up like that. I tell them, this is the problem. Um, the dentist is going to elaborate on this and come up with a plan to fix this for you. And if they start asking me a lot of clinical questions, if I can answer them, I will. Oh, do you think it's a crown? Do you think it's a filling? If I'm not sure, I'm going to say, I'd actually really like to hear what Dr. Paisner has to say about that. Let's wait till he comes in here and he can answer your questions. I just don't want to misspeak or I don't want to misinform you kind of thing. Um, but I'll go through the iTero scan. I use the quote unquote weather map, um, the occlusal gram, you know, explain, uh, how occlusal disease and perio disease work together destructively around the periodontium and, and kind of like if I think ortho is indicated and which thing comes first. So I go into a lot of detail, but not where it doesn't belong. So like if I truly don't know what the best treatment is going to be for this issue, I'm not going to bring up all these issues. You know, generally I do or I or I'll give patients kind of like potential scenarios like this may be a situation where we see the the root canal specialist, or it may not. Let's see what Dr. Estrada has to say about this. This cavity looks large to me, but it may not. You know, I, I leave like an opening so the dentist can come in and either, and like fill in the blank, basically. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we made the switch at my practice maybe, maybe seven years ago to incorporate the hygienist doing co-diagnosis and it was something that I think at first they were like, yeah, we'll try it. And then they loved it. Mm-hmm you know, like, you know what you're doing, like, we should be utilizing you to do what you know how to do. So I, I, I just, I, I love having my hygienist being well-trained and, and everybody being calibrated at the same level. And I think it's just a great way. It's, it's a great work environment. It's a, it's a better place to work than just, you know, just cleaning teeth. I mean, we're here to help people. We're here to like do what's right by the people. All right, let's move on to the segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Brittany Simon, what is your little system? All right, my little system is we have a team of, I think, 10 hygienists and 12 dentists, right? So that's a lot of periodic exams going on at once. I think there are seven hygienists any given day at our practice working. So we came up with a system where we use dry erasable cards with a template on it that says patient name, time of appointment, chief complaints, dental hygiene diagnosis, uh, what was recommended, and a little space for notes at the bottom. And so at the top of the hour, let's say a person's due for a periodic exam, I'll take the bite wings, 
and I'll do my perio chart, you know, any diagnostics that are due with that visit. And then I will fill in the dry erase card and leave it in the room wherever the doctor is currently working. That way they know what window of time they have to come in for that exam. Uh-huh. I love that. We do a similar system, but we do it with uh, pre-printed post-it notes because they stick. So love it. same thing. But yeah, we, we couldn't live without it. That's such a great system. All right, let's move on to the segment where they celebrate that all of us are human and that none of us is perfect. Brittany Simon, let's get real. Everybody get down. It's about to get real in here. What is the biggest struggle at your practice right now and what are you doing about it? I think that the biggest struggle at our practice is actually hiring and successfully training and integrating dental assistants and administrative team members. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't have a huge role in onboarding assistants and administrative team members. I do and have in the past for the hygiene team a couple of things that we do. So one thing is that we frequently and consistently have assistants on hygienist shadowing and getting like their class credits basically from local hygiene and assisting schools, right? So we've got this constant like flow and flood of auxiliary team members who are potentials, right? So we're kind of like soft interviewing them when they're in shadowing and they're kind of like soft interviewing us. We're seeing we're fit for each other. So that's kind of something that helps whenever there is an urgent opening mm-hmm. or an urgent issue, a position that needs to be filled very urgently where we can just, that's kind of a low-hanging fruit kind of thing. We call people that we already know and have interacted with personally. Also, we started incentivizing our current team. This is so funny to me. With a thousand dollar bonus when they refer a friend who stays long term. So they get five hundred dollars at the ninety day mark and then five hundred after a year. Nice. So if they refer a friend and they work out, that's it's it's been working too. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you about what does hygiene onboarding look like at your office? I'm just curious. That just something just popped in my head. I'd like to hear what you just have to say. So I headhunt people. I have headhunted people. <laughs> it's just so funny. I feel so bad, like admitting this. How, how creepy is your? Are you are you going to the office and you're in the windows and you're it's like so hey. creepy? Yeah, from <laughs> one to a hundred, it's definitely a hundred. Okay, I like straight up cold call. I straight up cold call people. I'm not even yeah. kidding. So I call my hygiene mentor. Her name is Cindy, and she works at two hygiene colleges, local hygiene colleges, right? And I ask her like, who's like your best? student who are your, your best recent graduates basically and she'll tell me and she'll give me their number yeah. and i'll just straight up text them and reach out and be like hey so if you give me your number i work at spodak blah 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 and, you know do you want to come see the place and and honestly it starts out as just like i like getting to know really high level professionals in my area i'd love to get to know you and build some mutual familiarity and i don't make any promises or, or proposals over like a text or a phone call yeah. or anything but if the person like texts me back and they're interested, typically they'll say, hey, can we jump on a phone call? Can I ask you some questions? You can ask me questions, whatever. That starts kind of the straining process because wow. Spodak is a really unique environment. Yeah. If you kind of want to come in and, and leave and just do the pro female thing and get your paycheck, it's really not the place for you. And that's totally okay. It's okay on our end. It's okay for like, do your thing. We'll do our thing. But I like to headhunt because then I know we're kind of starting with the cream of the crop and then whoever's interested, it kind of like whittles down from there, right? The first phone call is just screening. I want to hear how this person talks, how intelligent they sound, how they communicate, you know, what their long-term goals are personally and professionally and so on and so forth. And it's kind of just like a lighthearted conversation. Then I invite them for like a meet and greet at my office. And again, it's on the basis of like, hey, let's just be friends. I love getting to know professionals. Come on over. And then usually they see the place. They either love it or hate it. You know, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm here. You know, blah, blah, blah. Are you hiring? They usually start asking or they're like, hey, thanks for having me. Like, talk to you now or kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That's, it, it's easy. 
that's the hard part, I feel. You know, are you teachable? What are your values? What are your ethical arrangements? You know, what do you want out of life in your career? Kind of leads to like everything else is trainable, teachable, right? Mm -hmm. If a person is really interested in being the best in their field, there's a lot of opportunity for that with the high technology, the excessive training, you know, that we have, the team calibration stuff, the team socials that we have. So that's how it all starts. And then it kind of gets a little bit more meticulous, you know, like we'll do the working interview. Mm -hmm. We'll invite him back. We'll ask the team and pull the team like, hey, what was your interaction like with this person? What did you think? Would they be good on the team? Do you feel like they belong? Do they not? Why are we not with the pros and cons? So on and so forth. So the team is very much involved. And a lot of it is me just being creepy at caution people. Secret sauce. Just call. Call. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I hired the last four hygienists that way. I'm just saying, just putting it out there. <laughs> it's something good. I would tell myself to get a hygiene mentor to help me fill in the blanks and essentially learn all the things that I didn't learn at school and to just bounce ideas off of. A couple of the first practices I was in, I was the only hygienist or one of two, and there wasn't a lot of collaboration. And God forbid I ask a question, you know, that I'm the dumb one. And that's just not reality. You know, everyone gets better by like learning through the experience of others, learning from people who have more experience that wisdom, as we know, comes with real life experience, doesn't come from school. So it'd be just get a mentor right off the bat. Yeah, I love it. I right, share a story where you learned a valuable lesson from an experience or the hard way. So my career has kind of morphed into like more business orientation somewhat. I'd still full-time hygiene, right? But there's a lot of consulting. There's just, there's just a lot that goes on outside of like my clinical practice. And so what I have learned the hard way is that contracts really do matter, especially when business is involved, even and especially amongst friends. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's even more important when you're getting into business with like a friend or a colleague or something, because it's like, it protects and preserves the relationship, having a contract and having everything like spelled out black and white. Yeah, very true. All right, talk about the Bulletproof Summit coming up and you, you guys mastermind that you do, like all the team stuff that you can like bring your team to. Like, Tell listeners about that. Okay, so Bulletproof Practice Summit is happening in Las Vegas at the Win, August 11th and 12th. Essentially what it is, is a weekend where your whole team gets similar and unified information that they can really truly readily implement come Monday morning. And what is so frustrating to me, and I think a lot of people about going to different CE is like the dentist will go to their own CE, then the hygienist will go to their CE, and then the team or the office manager will go to their CE. And then each one of those individually typically will come back and say, oh my God, this is so amazing. I want to implement all these things. I want to make all these changes. And like the other two parties involved or however many parties involved in the team are looking at them like a deer in the headlights being so like, I didn't get all that information. I have no idea what the F you're talking about and why you're so excited about it, right? Then it's that it falls in that person's shoulders to try and like deliver the wow and portray their whole CE experience. They had this emotional, immersive experience at this incredible scene. Now they're ready to, to make changes and no one else is following, right? Reasonably. So the summit, essentially, there are parts where Hygiene, doctors, and team are all in the main room and are being delivered the same information regarding team vision, team culture, team mission, like practice collaboration. 
And then there are breakouts where hygiene will go into their room. The team or the office managers will go into a separate room with Erica, our COO. And then the dentist will stay in with Dr. Craig and Dr. Golden and learn similar but different things. And at the end of the day, they all get back together. They're sharing the information we're sharing on the main stage, what the hygienists learned today, what the team learned today, how to implement it. So it's like start as a team, break off, and then come back together and relay all this information and make a game plan for your respective team to go back and implement these things on Monday morning. So I love it because it cuts out all the middleman, it cuts out the telephone, it makes it so that they all, everyone had this immersive, amazing, transformative experience, and now they get to go back together and start running with the same motivation. Yeah. it's. I, I remember taking a seminar that I took and I went back and then told my team, and they're like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. And then I took everybody back to the same seminar and they're like, we have to do this. And I'm like, yeah. that's what I said. They're like, you didn't say it like they said it. Yeah. They said it different than you. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally true. It's assembly minds are the same thing. So uh, what about the mastermind group, the online kind of thing? At Summit, of course, it's two days of like us fire hosing people and people kind of drink from the fire hose, right? It's so much information that it would be realistic for you to implement one or two things, right? One or two items without follow-up, without accountability, without like a, a pre-engineered plan kind of thing. So the mastermind was prior only offered to people who were attending the summit. Now for hygiene, I think we're opening it up for anyone who's interested. They can join the mastermind on their own or if their doc wants them to join our mastermind separately from the summit. I don't know if it's transferred that way for the dentists or not, but it is basically a really significant extension of the summit. Mm -hmm. So the first call is like orientation. The second, like Sharice and I really get into the nitty gritty of how to implement everything that we do in your practice, how to overcome barriers like the ones that we talked about earlier with the, the mindset and the selling and any pain points we walk through and address from start to finish and overcome, make changes, pick people's brains in the mastermind. Like our mastermind right now is, I think, 30 hygienists or so. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, one hygienist per dentist. I think they accepted 30 dentists this year. But really, it's just like how to transform your personal and collective practice. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's move on to the Dental Practice Heroes Sexy Six. Six sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? Okay, so I hate quotes. <laughs> I hate That's quotes the quote. <laughs> I hate quotes. That's my favorite quote. Yeah. No, but but in all seriousness, I think that people often use them as like a weapon to dismiss people's experiences or they want to overlook hard topics or hard feelings. So they just like blow it off with a quote. That's why I hate them. Yeah. But if I had to pick a favorite slogan... It would be progress, not perfection, because it reminds me that's our only choice really in life. Like perfection is unattainable. We have to live in the present. There's no such thing as perfection. I can choose to do the next right thing and make progress. So it's like that 1% each day. Great. What are you reading right now? I am not reading a book right now, but I am taking a course on real estate investing. Oh, what kind of real estate investing? <laughs> I don't want to disclose. <laughs> I'll you after the podcast. All right, okay, okay, man. I know every time we're together, people are gonna be emailing me now. What was it? Oh gosh, I, I was gonna tell a story. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you when we're done. All right, uh, recommend a single book that all dentists should read. The Shift: The Dramatic Movement Toward Health-Centered Dentistry. It's by Dewitt Wilkerson, and it talks about oral and systemic infection and inflammation. 
airway and breathing disorders, and TMJ and dental occlusion disorders. So just those small, itty-bitty, teeny-tiny topics, you know. But in all seriousness, how those things are so interrelated and how it's just the domino effect and one impacts the other. And it's an incredible post-graduate rate. Yeah. And now you have a book. I do. Oh, I do. Yes. <laughs> I, I bought it. I actually bought it before we got on. I mean, oh, I, I, I got it on the Kindle. I love it. I just love it. Just can go on the Kindle and it's like there. Oh, it's so great. Yes. And I'm Sharissa and my book is Bulletproof Hygiene, The Guide for Finding Fulfillment Through Purposeful, Profitable Hygiene and is available on Amazon. Very cool. I recommend a seminar or a continued education. I think you've already have. Yeah, I was going to say I have to be biased on this one and recommend the Bulletproof Dental Summit. It really is transformative on so many levels for so many people. We get like countless emails, text messages, like how much people's practices have changed after coming to the summit. Highly recommend. If I had to choose a second, a close second would be Integrative Dental Medicine Seminar. It's happening in Tampa. And it is also founded, I think, by DeWitt Wilkerson, who wrote The Shift. And it's on the, the aforementioned topics. Oh, cool. All right. Awesome. All right. Please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. So I guess the one that I use the most is when we're talking about anterior occlusal trauma and period disease. I just describe like, you know, this tooth has one little conical root. It's not meant to take forces in different directions. It's meant to take a force in a specific direction in a certain amount of force, right? So when there's like the duo of periodontal disease and anterior occlusal trauma, it's kind of like if you had a fence post in the ground just being hammered in awkward directions over and over and then the rain comes and it kind of like washes away the dirt eventually the fence post becomes loose and you lose it and it needs to be replaced mm-hmm. i lose my tooth yeah it's horrible exactly you got it you picked it right <laughs> up on that right up on that awesome. <laughs> all right if you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon to be graduate what would they be uh the first thing would be get a mentor asap ask for help this is all one by the way this is still number one join a study club or something of that sort, right? So you think you graduated and you're like continuing education right away? I would say, I would argue, yes, you, you do. You need some sort of mentorship. Two, realize your hygienist can be your best friend and your biggest advocate. They are actually your secret weapon and you should treat them as such. And if you do treat them as such, they will 100% rise to the occasion. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing would be, I guess this kind of ties back into my um, first thing, which is take CE. Yeah, excellent. All right, Brittany, well, thank you so much for taking the time with the listeners and sharing and setting the bar for all of our hygienists. All these doctors are going to say, you got to listen to this hygienist. Why can't you do that? No, we wouldn't say it like that, but <laughs> we'll just be thinking it. Like, why can't you do it more like Brittany? Thanks so much for being on the podcast. This was awesome. I loved interviewing you, and I love hearing what you're doing over there, and I think it's just so cool. Craig talks about you all the time. Like, every time I talk to him, I'm like, do you think you could interview her, like, on the podcast? And he's like, yeah, I could set that up. So just thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it too. I had a blast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 